bad week to have the flu, and that was really how I started the week. Um, was in bed and was in bed for probably three days. And uh, so, for for those of you guys that prayed for me, I really do appreciate your prayers, and um, am glad to be back. I'm glad to have uh, my voice back today, and to be able to sound like I'm not. Um, I don't know trying to breathe out of a Bane mask or something. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to cough into the microphone too much, um, but you'll, I guess, bear with me. So, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. Hey, <laughs> it's good to be with you. Uh, even though can't be with you uh, in person, I'm thankful for the technology that we're able to do this. And in a time when it might seem like um, everything is shifting and there's a shock and we can't do things the normal way that we've done things. Um, at the very least, we can pull up a video and the video kind of looks the way that we expect it to look. Um, and it's a small comfort, but a comfort nonetheless um, to, to be able to be with you this morning. Um, I'd like to pick up where we left off. Uh, we started... And we were actually going to finish last week our series that we've called The Poverty Gospel. Um, and if you'll remember that the whole series, we were talking about Jesus' good news. Remember back when there was good news in the world? Um, that was what we were talking about, and that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit this morning. Um, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry in Luke, he, he, he opens the scroll of Isaiah and, and reads, you know, that this, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing today. He says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to people who are in bondage. And we've been looking at all of these different kinds of aspects of what Jesus' good news is and what Jesus' good news does in the world. And this morning, um, we actually get to hear Jesus preach. And one of the difficulties, like this sermon was going to be difficult whether you got to sit in the room or not because um, my task this morning is to preach what Jesus preached. And I don't know that I can necessarily do as good of a job as he did. I don't, I don't know that I can. But my hope is that by looking at this together this morning, we'll become more and more fascinated and more and more infatuated with Jesus. Not necessarily with Grace or with Michael, um, but, but as we look to God's word together, as we hear the words of our master, that our, our heartstrings will be, will be pricked and we will want to, to hear more of him. Here's, here's a temptation of something that happens in my own heart, and maybe you'll relate to this. There's times where I feel like I get a handle on Christianity, where I feel like I know what is expected of me and what I can expect from God and what I can expect from quiet time. There's times where I can get into this place where I'm comfortable and where I, I slip into what might be described as a complacency. And when I get to that place, uh, God sends a world pandemic to throw up everything that I'm so concerned about church operating as. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't do that every time. He happens to have done that this time. But when I feel comfortable with what my faith is, 
I look at Jesus and I look at either the Sermon on the Mount as, rec- as recorded in Matthew or our passage here together this morning in Luke chapter six, which is what is called the Sermon on the Plain. And I realize that Jesus doesn't fit into the box that I want for him to. Jesus doesn't fit into my pocket that I wanna carry him around with. Jesus expands outside of all of that and he, and he drives me deeper. Um, challenges me to go deeper than I was willing to go or that I, that I wanted to go. And so that's our task this morning is to, um, is to hear Jesus' words and to figure out how to respond to them. And our task this morning, I feel like, is, is, is even heightened as we consider and are forced to consider ways to apply this message that maybe are outside of our comfort zone because now we literally can't even be in the same room together um, in, in large groups the way that we would want to. What does loving people, what does loving my neighbor, what does loving my enemy look like when I can't get near them? So that's a whole lot of preamble. Um, I'd like for us to turn our attention, if you're going to tap or navigate, to Luke chapter 6. If you've got a blue Bible there at home and you're going to be reading along with me, I'm on page 1076. Um, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 6 and I'm going to begin in verse 17. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. I can't tell if you're flipping there or not. So I'm just going to go ahead and pray and invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. (laughs) God, you are our Father and you are in heaven. And you are holy. You're separate. You are above all of the mess. God, would your reputation remain pristine? And Lord, would your kingdom come? Would you... you establish or continue to establish your kingdom here on earth in the way that you control and establish it in heaven. God, give us the things that we need for today. Our daily bread, our daily toilet paper. And God, would you forgive us our debts as we forgive the people that we feel like owe something to us our debtors. Would you lead us not into temptation? Would you lead us not into anxiety and fear? But would you deliver us from evil? For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory that will never be shaken forever. Amen. So, in Luke chapter 6, Beginning in verse 17, after Jesus has called his disciples to him, he's called them all by name, he set them up as apostles, he came down with them, in verse 17, and stood on a level place, a plain, for lack of another word, and with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of his diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. There was no social distancing in this passage. 
And here's what I'm excited about. For the last six chapters, Luke has alluded to Jesus preaching and his preaching having power and people being attracted to his preaching and people wanting to hear the words that Jesus was, say, was saying. And here is the time where Luke records a sermon for us. And we're going to look at it together. May your heart be blessed. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I'm going to pause there and, and, and try to draw some things out of what Jesus is saying. He opens up um, this he opens up this sermon with what we might be familiar with as the beatitudes, the, the, the blessings and the woes. And it's, it's kind of hard, like it's, I don't know exactly how to explain it other than I think Jesus begins his sermon, he begins his talk by trying to highlight the nature of reality. Um, there's, a, there's this dichotomy of how we think that the world works and, and the things that we might come to God and ask God to give us. And then there's a different perspective on how the world actually works. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Um, the nature of reality isn't just the material world that we can see. Like, you, you need to hear me this morning. The nature of reality is not just the material thing, the material world that we can see, the material people that we can touch or that we can contract diseases from, the material stuff that we can accumulate and we can put our hands on. There is, in reality, a spiritual world that oftentimes we live just completely ignorant of. And by teaching, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, he says, look, even though you may now be materially poor, that is not the end of the game. There is a kingdom that you cannot see and that may not be tangible to you today, but that is still reality. And that one is yours. And it can't be taken away from you. It, he's talking about blessings and, and woes, and I think when we read that, we go like, okay, like, is this an ultimate thing? Like, is this a, a final thing? If, I'm, if I have any kind of money now, like, I, I should be really upset and give that money away so that I will have the kingdom of heaven later, or, or should I, if I have food, like, should I not eat any of the food and go hungry so that I won't be hungry in the afterlife? And I think that that... 
is to misunderstand precisely what he's driving at. He's simply saying there's a world beyond that matters just as much as the one that you're in and that you can see and that you can taste and you can touch. If you'll allow me, I'll give you an example from the Old Testament. There was a guy named Jacob. And Jacob was, by all accounts, a guy who just lived for himself. He only cared about what was going to be expedient to him. He stole from his brother, and his brother got mad and was going to kill him. So he was running away. And as Jacob's running away, he falls asleep. And as he's sleeping, God shows him a vision. And you might have heard it called Jacob's Ladder. Um, or Jacob's staircase or something like that, the stairway to heaven. He sees this vision of angels going up and down on a ladder and he gets it. That the material world isn't all there is. There is also a spiritual world and the two are constantly interacting. And with the Beatitudes, with Jesus' opening blessing, he invites us to look deeper than the things that we can see and taste and feel and touch and to trust what's happening in the spiritual realm. If you're rich and if you're fool and if you're laughing now, that's not a bad thing. But understand that if God gives you blessings in this world, then you've received the blessing. There's nothing more to look forward to. Um, And there's a bunch of examples of (laughs) of how that can work out. But if you're hungry now, then don't know, then understand that this is not the end of it. That ultimate satisfaction is future. And if you're weeping now, understand that there is still hope for us in the future. There's hope. And if, if, if God doesn't heal us today, that, he, that doesn't mean that there is no healing in the kingdom. It means that he's not gotten, he's not finished the work that he started yet. There's a spiritual dimension that's going on behind everything and, and I'm tempted to speculate on the news and, and the current situation of what's going on in our world and I won't <laughs> except to say that there is a spiritual reality that is also happening in the background. And I, I could speculate about what that is and what it is that's going on, but I don't have definitive answers as to what that is. Only to say that God is ultimately the one who's in control of it. We've already seen in this series that Jesus' good news will not be derailed by evil spiritual entities. Whatever is going on in the spiritual background, we can be aware of it, and, but we can be confident that Jesus is already taking control of it and is already handling it. As I consider these, these passages, the, the question that comes to mind is, will I trust Jesus with the balance of powers? whether that be governmental or personal, whether those be spiritual powers, will I trust Jesus with the balance of powers? Because I don't even have the ability to see how they all are working. Will I choose to be anxious and fearful and overwhelmed and panicked about what's going on in the world 
that's outside of my control? Or will I see that Jesus is taking care of what I can't see? And will I trust him with the things that I can and can't? And as such, walk in joy and peace. Will I walk in love because I trust Jesus with the balance of powers? He continues on in verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This morning, the, the big idea, the, the, the thing that I can only hope to point to you to is this, that Jesus' good news is built on love. Jesus' good news is built on love. It was the, the love that God has showed to us is the love that he asks us to show to one another. He says, but I, I say to those of you who hear, hear this, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And that is the love that God has showed to us. We read it together in 1 John this morning. That while we were still enemies of God, he sought us out and won salvation for us on the cross. He took our abuse upon himself and said, no, I love you this much. Jesus' good news has always been, from the beginning, good news for those who are eligible through faith by his grace, not for the people who could earn it, not for the people who are good enough. The good news is that God extends his love to us when we did not deserve it, which was all the time. And so for him to turn and say, I, 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 for you here, love your enemies, is not beyond anything that he hasn't already done on our behalf. And there's a, a, a misconception that, that Jesus began something new by, by, by making statements about God's love and by teaching and preaching God's love. Um, but I just remind you that in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6, um, the basis and the, the recitation that the Hebrew people would do daily, that they would write it on their doorsteps and that they would recite it to each other, is that 
they should love one another and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' good news is built on love and he presses that love forward through us. And I don't know what I could say beyond Jesus' application here. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And give to everyone who begs from you and from, any, from one who takes away your goods, don't demand him back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If, if you're like me, my heart immediately wants to begin to think of caveats and exceptions. And if you want, and if you also are tempted to jump to exceptions, let me encourage you that as you jump to those exceptions, as you try to find loopholes in the words that Jesus has given here, understand that you have missed the point until you've tried the application of it. Will I love my enemy as God is loving me? I didn't do anything that God should smile on me and say, yeah, I really want that guy on my team. I want to adopt her as my daughter. Like, they're such a good person. I really, I really want to bring them in. He looked at all of us and said, none of you are worthy of this. And yet I'll lay down my life in love for you. Will I love my enemy as God is loving me? Who is my enemy? Who is my neighbor? Who is my friend and who is my family? The answers to these questions, I think, are, are, are pertinent in a, in a season where we're afraid of everybody who's sneezing near us or anybody who coughs in line behind us. But the attitude that Jesus invites us to show toward one another is, is generosity, a gracious generosity. Don't just love people who are loving to you and don't just do good to those who do good to you, but love people that are never gonna be able to repay you and be generous to people who have no ability to return the payment that you have given out. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Because Jesus' good news is for those who are eligible through faith by his grace. Jesus' good news is built on love. I think he continues now in verse 37 with more application of what this actually looks like. Would you read with me? He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You, you hypocrite. First take, out, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Um, If ever I think that I have understood Jesus or can stick him in a box. It's these words that cut me to the soul. I I don't know about you, but as, as I've watched the news or as I've interacted with the things that are going on in the world, there are parts, there are evil thoughts that have come out of me and I've been surprised at them. And I've been reminded this week that out of the abundance of the heart, a person's mouth speaks. And so if there's evil coming out of me, then it must have been in me all along. And I prayed this morning, God, I thought your spirit was dwelling in me. I thought you were taking over. I thought you were filling me with your life. And yet, come the time of testing, maybe that's not what's coming out. There's a, an interesting dynamic about um, humanity. We want... We want to be perceived in a certain way, whether that's the way that we are or not. So, um, if there are there are people, and and I I don't I'm not saying this to anybody who I can think of in particular, but there are people who really, really, really want to be perceived as wealthy, and so the clothes that they buy are, are wealthy clothes and they take good care of their shoes and they make sure that everybody sees the, the expensive things that they have but, but nobody knows that they can't keep a checkbook balance and nobody knows that they don't actually have any income and that the debt is crushing them and, but they don't, it doesn't matter to them that they don't have money as long as other people outside of them think that they do. And Jesus ultimately says at some point the, the hypocrisy that we try to front towards other people is going to be washed clean. At some point, people are going, the, the mask is going to fall away and the true nature of who we are is going to come clean. And so it's easier to be a good person than, or it is better to be a good person whether people perceive you that way or not than to be perceived as a good person even if your heart is wicked. If you are a good person, then then what's coming out of you, what's been redeemed in you, like it just comes naturally. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to um, manage your... um, uh, your, your PR, you don't have to make sure that your, Facebook's, uh, your Facebook posts are all cleaned up and washed up. You don't have to be concerned that maybe something's going to slip through your filter. You're going to curse in front of the wrong person or something like that. Like the person that you are just comes out and you don't have to manage it. But there's a thing here 
like the thing is, your, your neighbors all know this might be the only Bible verse that everyone in America knows. Judge not and you will not be judged. Um, condemn not and you'll not be condemned. They, they stop at that. They don't read the forgive and you will be forgiven and give and it will be given to you. Um, there's this dynamic where we just don't have a great perspective on ourselves. But it's God's love that is willing to show us who we are and what it is that we're doing in the world. We as Christians, you know, can get cleaned up and, and play the game usually on a Sunday morning. Like this Sunday morning's weird because I don't know if any of you are even wearing pants. We didn't necessarily have to get dressed today. And so who is it that you are when you're just at home locked in the house with your kids? or with your spouse. This is where your faith gets tested in a way that whether or not you can polish well for a Sunday morning gathering can't. Who you are matters more than what we do. The good news is that Jesus' good news breathes life into religious practices. Like if there's anything that we do that's like a religious practice, if we, if we can center it on Jesus and the forgiveness that he's already given to us freely, if we can make it centered on the good news that Jesus is forgiving us and redeeming us, that it has life in it. The question is, will I let Jesus shape me? Or will I be satisfied with shaping my perception in other people's minds? Will I let Jesus shape me? Will I hear from his word? And will I allow that to speak into my heart? Will I allow him to do the hard work of making him like me? Will I submit to his divine wisdom? And will I do the things that he's instructing me to do? Actually, that's how he closes the sermon. Read with me in verse 46. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, but it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Church, this week was a big test for communities all over the world. Is our faith something that we're playing? Or is it something that is embedded in our hearts? Rock-solid foundation. If, if the church is not able to meet together in the ways that we're comfortable with, what does that mean for our community? Do we know who we haven't had contact with and are we reaching out to those people? Like we can get mad at the storm and be, be frustrated that, that the day of tribulation has come or we can look and say, man, my foundation wasn't deep enough. 
Jesus, I, I, I throw myself on you. I, I hear your words, and now, God, would you, would you shape my heart? If you've been discouraged this week, and, and if you've been overwhelmed, and you've been anxious this week, let me just encourage you to become an apprentice of Jesus' words, not just a hearer. Don't just quote Bible verses at troubles but embed them in your soul. Let the Spirit work them in and apply them out. Read them. Listen to them. Um, audio books and audio Bibles are, are my closest friends, especially as I have to work with my hands. And as I'm listening and as I'm reading, I'm also finding that, that these things can't just be in me. They also get worked out through my hands. When I read to love my enemies, the Spirit challenges me to find ways to do that. There's a wrestling. There's a digging. Digging down to bedrock to build a firm foundation is not easy work, but it is necessary work. As we build on the foundation, we understand that the foundation is love. Jesus' good news is built on God's love. And when the storm comes and the waves crash against us, if we're built there, we'll stand firm. Not because of confidence in ourselves, but because of the work that he's doing and has done in us. Jesus says elsewhere, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love your brother. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. I suspect that means we're going to need to put down our fear and our anxiety. We're going to have to have confidence in what it is that he's doing. We're going to have to act in accordance with his wisdom which simply means in these days, just wash your hands. Love your neighbor by keeping six feet away from them. Don't insist on hugging people, which is hard for those of us who really like to hug people. It's hard for us who really could use a hug right now. We'll read it together in a few minutes, but understand that Jesus didn't go anywhere this week. He's with us to the end of the age, and while it might feel like we're at the end of the age this week, we're not there yet. And even if we get there, he'll still be there with us, reigning king over all. Would you pray with me, church? Jesus, you're challenging your, your, your words 
Lord, we could spend a lifetime dwelling on them and not, and not quite grasp what it is that you're asking us to do and not quite grasp the changes that you want to build into our hearts, the ways that you want to shape us. And so, Lord, we press into that endeavor. We acknowledge that we haven't nailed it yet. And we ask that you'd continue to lead us and guide us, that you'd give us confidence in you and God, that you'd give us a desire for your word, not just to read it and to understand it and to piece it back together. And God, for it to be embedded within us and to be applied in our world. Many organizations will be seeking and asking, who are we now? But your church hasn't changed You have established it, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So would you show us the way forward now to love our neighbors and to love our enemies? Would you be with us in the quarantine? It's in your name we pray. Amen.